Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome again to the Syntactical War Room. We're glad you're here tonight. Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and your people. We pray that this study would be profitable tonight for those that are here and for those who will listen to it on the website. We have quite a following on this study. We pray you bless them too. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's take our study sheet, worksheet number seven. And we did 1 John 1.9 was the verse from which we were to take these answers. So how many total words are in the verse? 20. You're counting the Greek words is what you're counting, and there are 20 of them. But I will concede a couple points tonight. I don't like to do it, but I will. Okay, how many conjunctions are in the verse? Four, that's correct. How many coordinate conjunctions are in the verse? That's right, two. How many subordinate conjunctions are in the verse? Two. That's right. How many pronouns are in the verse? This is tricky because it is three. It is three pronouns are in the verse, but... You'll notice that the verse begins, if we confess, and we, of course, is a pronoun, but there's the odd thing about Greek, the we is in the verb. So we're just going by the technicality of what's in the Greek text, but you're right, there are three pronouns. Okay, how many definite articles in the verse? Two, that's right. How many nouns are in this verse? Three. How many adjectives in the verse? Three. How many prepositions are in the verse? One, that's exactly right. Now, before each of the noun sins is the definite article the, why would they be there? Anybody want to make an exegetical observation about that? Point out what? It's importance. Yes. Yes, that's right. Pointing out specific sin, not just any sin, but let's put it in the context, specific sin that needs to be confessed. So just that article, the, both of those articles indicate you're not just saying, confessing, Lord, if I sin, please forgive me. You are actually pinpointing and identifying what the sin is in the confession. And that certainly is what those articles would lend itself. Great job tonight. Man, we didn't even have any fights or anything. This was pretty good tonight. Uh, yeah, that's right. Tim wasn't here. Tim, you weren't here, and there's why there were no fights here tonight. The whole class is in agreement on that point, by the way. Okay, that brings us to the verbs. We want to start talking about the verb, and the verb is a part of a sentence that gives us the action. I mean, it gives us action about a person, place, or thing, and Roy Zuck said the verb asserts something about what the noun or pronoun is or does, and spotting the verbs, identifying the verbs, that's a key to understanding the Bible. In fact, without verbs, you have no precise action, no precise meaning. God's the one who put his word in language, and he's the one who chose the verbs that he uses in the Bible. So these verbs are very, very critical. Now, we said last time there are two types of verbs, and there are, first of all, what are called action verbs. And action verbs express action as it relates to the subject. And when it comes to action verbs, you have two types. You have what's called 
transitive verb action, and that takes an object. If I said, for example, she gave, that doesn't make sense. There has to be some object. She gave what? I mean, what are we talking about? She gave a present. So you have to have a transitive verb. There has to be a direct object to complete the meaning. If we say the speaker, the speaker what? The speaker discussed verbs. Not just the speaker discussed something, they discussed verbs. Or how about bring? If I just said use the verb bring, bring what? Are we talking about bring a Bible, bring coffee, bring water? What are we talking about? So a transitive verb is a verb that requires an object to make sense of it. And we went to a text that I want you to go back to last week. It was in Matthew chapter 10, and this thing has just intrigued me all week. So I decided to do some work on this thing and some additional thinking on this. So I'd like you to go back to Matthew chapter 10 for a minute, because here's a series of transitive verbs that are used by the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, you'll recall that when he was getting ready to send his 12 out, and these 12, that's verse 5, and we're going to go back to that in just a second, but in verse 8, he uses a series of transitive verbs, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. Now, as we pointed out, the article, the, is in italics in the New American Standard because it isn't really there in the original text. So if you look at this in the original text, it just says, heal sick, raise dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. And that's the thing that just stuck with me last Wednesday. I couldn't shake that. I thought, now why, why wouldn't they have an article there? Most English translations put an article there, but it isn't there in the original text. And then I started backing up to verse 5, which says, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way, and you'll notice there's no article there. There is an article there, but it's in italics in the New American Standard. So do not go in way of the Gentiles, and there's no article before Gentiles. No article before Gentiles. There is in English just to make good English sense, but you'll notice it's in italics, and so there really isn't an article there. And do not enter any city of the Samaritans. Now, I don't Know why they put the article the before Samaritans in the New American Standard? Because there is no article the there. So it really says, do not enter any city of Samaritans, but rather go to, now here's where the articles start being used, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And actually it reads, the sheep, the lost sheep, you have two articles there, of the house of Israel, of house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of, and this is the way it would read, the kingdom of the heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you receive, freely give. So the thing that kept sticking in my mind as I've been simmering on that since we looked at it last Wednesday night is, okay, why doesn't he use the article the before the noun sick, the noun dead, the noun lepers, why does he use the article there when he's saying, go in the specific way of the house of Israel? He's using articles. He's saying, don't go to any Gentile. Don't go to the character and quality of any Samaritan. You go to the house of Israel and you preach the kingdom of the gospel to Israel. So then why doesn't he use the article the, which would make sense when you would say, heal the sick, that is, heal the specific people of Israel, raise the dead, the specific people of Israel, cleanse the lepers, the specific 
people of Israel. I rolled that through my, I meditated on that. I can't tell you how I have simmered on that. And here's my conclusion. My conclusion is the reason why he doesn't have an article, the, before that, is because if they were in a situation where they're going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and they're preaching the kingdom gospel to Israel and there would happen to be at that meeting, wherever they were at, a sick Gentile or a Samaritan leper, they wouldn't just say, well, I'm not healing you here because you are in the Israel lineage. And I think that's why he leaves the article out. In other words, what I think the Lord Jesus is doing here is he's basically saying, when you go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that's your assignment. This is focused on Israel. But when you're out there healing, if somebody comes to you, they don't have to just be specifically an Israeli who needs healing. Someone else could need the character and quality of healing. So there's my exegetical conclusions, and there's no extra thought involved in you receiving that tonight. I just wanted to give that to you because I thought that's just interesting to me that he does that. Now, we brought out some things about the transitive verb in Acts 16.30. The Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul uses a transitive verb, believe. Believe what? Believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved. You could just say, well, believe, yeah, but you have to believe something. I mean, what is it that you're believing in to be saved? Well, you're believing in the Lord Jesus to be saved. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, we said that Christ died for our sins. Now, Paul could have just said Christ died. That's a historical fact. It's an important historical fact, but we learn that he's presenting the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. He's presenting the gospel that he preached, so when he uses the verb he died, he completes it by saying he died for our sins. And so that makes it a transitive verb. So the first kind of action verb is what is called the transitive verb, and that requires an object. The second kind of action verb is the intransitive verb that takes no object. An intransitive verb never takes an object, it works alone. In other words, the verb itself doesn't need an object. Like, for example, I voted. I voted. I mean, that's just a verb. I voted. I don't have to say any more than that. I voted. Or things deteriorated. Well, I don't have to go any further than that. I don't have to add some object to that. Things deteriorated. You understand that? We laughed. We laughed. We don't need to say more than that. You'd realize there that I can just make that statement and it just makes sense. I cried. I cried. I don't have to go into any further detail if I don't want to. That verb stands on its own. It's an intransitive verb. She sang. She sang. She played. Now, we might want to say she played what? That would make it a transitive verb. She played the piano. She played the organ. She played with dolls. I mean, you could add something to that that would make it a transitive verb, but it could be intransitive. The dog ran. Dog ran. So there you have examples of how an intransitive verb works. Now, you can take almost any verb, and it can function either as an intransitive or a transitive, depending upon the context. But one of the more famous ones that we saw earlier in our study, in John eleven thirty five, we read, Jesus wept. We don't have to go any further than that. Jesus wept. Now, to understand why he wept, and that's what we did earlier in our previous studies, we had to crawl through that context to see why is it that he's weeping. But the statement, Jesus wept, the verb wept, is enough in itself to let us know that we need no more action than that. 
in John 9, and I would like you to go to John chapter 9, if you would. John chapter 9. And I think this is an interesting one to just look at and analyze for a minute. In John 9, 25, now this guy that Jesus had healed of blindness, Jesus told him, you go and show these leaders that you're healed of blindness. That's what this guy's doing. So in John 9, notice verse 24, so a second time they called the man who had been blind, verse 24, and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Then he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Now he's using an intransitive verb there by saying, I see. He's basically saying, I have sight. He's not telling us what he sees. He did that, though, because we saw that. We analyzed that. Because this particular verb, I see, could be used as a transitive verb where you have an object to it, or in this case, it's an intransitive verb. He's just basically saying, I was blind, I see, and I have sight, and that's what he means by that. And so when he uses this verb, I see, he's using it as an intransitive verb. When he said, in Mark's account, I see the men, what we would understand is, well, he's using the same verb there as a transitive verb because it has an object. I see the men, I'm telling you what I see. In this case, he's just answering them, I was blind, I see. And that's all that they needed to know. You can do that with a lot of verbs. She sang. She sang. She sang a hymn. Well, you could just say she sang, and there you have what would be an intransitive verb, or she sang a hymn, then you make it a transitive verb. The one we could use that we did tonight, we could say, I confess. I confess. And someone could actually say that and use it in an intransitive way. You don't need to say any more than I confessed. Or we could say, if we confess our sins. And now it becomes a transitive verb. So what I'm trying to say is the verb could be transitive or intransitive depending on the context in which it's written, and we have driven that home in previous studies, context, context, context. Another good illustration of an intransitive verb is the patient improved at the hospital. I mean, you don't even have to ask the hospital. You could just say the patient improved. And you have a patient noun, and you have improved a verb, and that says it all. And so you don't need anything to say more than that. And so the verb is intransitive. It takes no object. It works alone. It never takes an object. That's what an intransitive verb does. Now, the second type of action verb is what is called the linking verbs. The linking verbs. Now, the linking verb is a verb that takes a subject and it links it to the object. And a linking verb expresses action by linking words together. It doesn't show action within itself, but it describes the subject. The most common linking verbs are he, be, is, are, were, am, and was. Now, a good example of the linking verb is Jesus in John 9, 5, when he says, I am the light of the world. So you have the I am is your linking verb, and I am the light of the world. In John 10, 7, and 9, Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. So the I am is your linking verb, and it's linking us to the light of the world, the door of the sheep. It's linking us to the door of the sheep. A linking verb links something to the subject to have meaning. And what's so staggering about God? 
This is what is just staggering about God. He is the only being who may use a linking verb and not link it to anything. Now, you just think about this for a minute. He's the only being that can actually say, I am, and not have to finish the sentence. That's a linking verb, I am. He's the only being in existence who can just say, I am, and not have to link it to anything. And he has done that, actually, in the scriptures. He has actually taken that linking verb and made that a verb about himself. And that's what's so staggering about God. In Exodus 3.14, God says, I am who I am. In John 8.58, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. It is an amazing statement about God and his sovereignty in the fact that he uses a linking verb and doesn't have to finish it. In any other context, a linking verb has to link something together with the exception of God. He is in and of himself. He's the only being who can say, I am, and he never has to add to it. We would have to. If I said, I am, you'd have to finish it, or I'd have to finish it. I'm a crazy teacher. I mean, there you go. I know that's what you're thinking, so I'll finish the sentence for you. But that's exactly what a linking verb does. Now, the second verb question is, what are the five qualities of every verb? Every verb that you'll ever see anywhere has five qualities to it. First of all, every verb has what is called a voice. It's either an active voice, it performs the action, a passive voice, it receives the action, or a middle voice, we'll discuss this further in a few minutes, a middle voice is a very rare thing in Greek which enables the person to participate in the action and in the results of the action. That's the middle voice of the verb. But every verb has a voice. Every verb you'll ever use in a context has a voice. The active voice is used according to Dr. Dan Wallace in the exegetical syntax of the New Testament. It is used 20,697 times. The passive voice is used 3,933 times in the New Testament. The middle voice is used 3,500 times in the New Testament. And he's probably the greatest textual scholar on the face of the earth right now, and I just take his word for it that his numbers are accurate there. The second quality that is involved in every single verb is every verb has a person. First person, second person, third person, I, you, he, she, we, you, they. Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. So every verb has a voice, an active, passive, middle voice. Every verse has a person, first person, second person, third person. Thirdly, every verb has a number. It's either singular or plural. So every verb has a number. Now, I've given you a chart here of singular and plural English verbs, the most common of them. And we'll talk about how they work in a few minutes. The fourth quality about every verb is every verb has a mood, a mood. There's the indicative. We're going to discuss every one of these things, break them down every one of these. But there's the indicative mood, the imperative mood, the subjunctive mood, and the optative mood. The indicative mood is used 15,618 times in the New Testament. The imperative mood is used 1,631 times in the New Testament. The subjunctive mood is used 1,858 times in the New Testament, and the optative mood is used 68 times in the New Testament. That's a rare thing. The fifth quality is every verb has a tense. A tense. So you have present tense, 
of the verb. There can be future tense of the verb. There can be what's called an imperfect tense of the verb. There can be a nearest tense of the verb, a perfect tense of the verb, and a pluperfect tense of the verb. We're going to define every one of these and show you examples for every one of these, so don't get a headache as we're going through this. The present tense is used 11,583 times in the New Testament. The future tense is used 1,623 times in the New Testament. The imperfect tense is used 1,682 times in the New Testament. The aorist tense is used 11,606 times in the New Testament. The perfect tense is used 1,571 times in the New Testament. And the pluperfect tense is used 86 times in the New Testament. So now let's talk about the voice. We'll start there. We said, first of all, you've got five qualities to a verb. Voice, person, number, mood, tense. Voice, person, number, mood, tense. You have that in every verb that you'll ever run across, actually pretty much in the English language, but certainly you do in biblical language. So let's talk about the voice, the definition of an active, passive, middle voice verbs. Now, voice determines whether the subject is being acted upon or they're performing the action. I mean, that's what voice does. It gives you the determination. Is the person doing the action? Is the person receiving the action? I mean, that's what voice does. That's what voice brings to the verb. And the active voice verb, the subject performs the action. For example, in Galatians 4.4, we read, God sent his son. That's an active voice. God is performing the action. God performed the action of sending his son. And we know why he sent his son. The scriptures are clear on that, but that's an active voice. God did the action. In Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. God performed the action. So that is an active voice verb where the subject of the verb is performing the action. In Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you perform that action, you shall be saved. That's the active voice and that's how it works. The subject performs the action. Now the passive voice, the subject receives the action. In other words, the subject is acted upon. The subject becomes the recipient of the action. In Romans 3.28, we read, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, the verb justified is a verb that would be a passive voice verb, which means when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we were the recipient of the action of justification. We received that. We didn't do the action. We were the recipient of the action of justification. God did the action. And that passive voice becomes critical in forming theology and doctrine in regard to many things of the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. We had nothing to do with that action. That's passive voice. We were the recipients of that action. At the moment you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Holy Spirit literally put you into Jesus Christ. You weren't aware of it. I wasn't aware of it. This is not some giddy, emotional, nonsensical, irrational babbling like people try to make the baptism the Holy Spirit. They don't even understand what it is. What this is, is that Spirit of God linked us into Jesus Christ, literally put us into Jesus Christ, identified us with Jesus Christ, everything he is and was. We became part of his family by the baptism work of the Spirit of God. And the passive voice would indicate We were the recipients of that action. 
The night I trusted the Lord, whenever you trust the Lord, you weren't aware of this. I wasn't aware of this. This was a passive action that we received by the grace of God. Now, in Hebrews 11.23, we read, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Moses was the recipient of that action, passive verb. In other words, Moses had nothing to do with hiding himself. He was just a little baby, and he was hidden by his mom and dad. And so that becomes critical. And another one that we could use would be 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Whether there be prophecy and knowledge, it will be done away. And that is a passive verb. So God has himself built into prophecy and knowledge the fact that it's just going to pass away. That part of those gifts will pass away. So the active voice is the person or the subject performs the action. In the passive voice, the person or subject object receives the action. Now we come to this odd thing in Greek, which is in the Bible, which is so critical. It's called the middle voice. And the middle voice, the subject performs the action and then receives the action that's performed. This is a real peculiar deal. And I'm convinced that God had his word originally written in Greek. I think that's why Alexander the Great was permitted to conquer the world because he did a couple of things, one of which was make this language right here the common language of the people. And it's a very precise language. And God wanted his New Testament written in that language. And one of the features, peculiar features of this particular language is this middle voice verb business. If I say active voice, I throw the ball, I perform the action. If I say passive voice, the ball was thrown to me, I receive the action. But if I use a middle voice verb, I would say I throw the ball to myself. So I not only throw the ball involved in the action, but I'm involved in the results of the action as well. That's the middle voice. Now, believe it or not, our time is gone. So we're just going to have to stop here and take a mental break from all of this. And next week we have a congregational meeting, so we'll regroup here and go through this two weeks from tonight. Any questions or comments about tonight in our syntactical war room? Well, great. Good Sunday. We've got prepared for you a great text in Romans and a great text in Micah. So we'll look forward to a great day of worship. Thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.